0: The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you that we may call upon you as our father today, that you are the great king and the God of all the earth. We bow before you in our hearts. We proclaim that you are the one true and living God and apart from you, there is no other. Lord, we pray that you would inhabit the praises of your people today. We, we pray humbly before you, not demanding anything, but asking as beggars that you would pour out your spirit upon us your children. We pray, Lord, that you would be pleased to be with each one of us today and with us corporately as your people. We pray, Lord, that the things that we think and say and do will bring honor and glory to you. And I pray for all of us this morning, myself included, that you would take away any distractions that might cause us to not be present here, even though we are physically present. We pray, Lord, that in mind and spirit we would be fully involved in the worship of of the living God. Lord, I pray that you would give us faith and hope in the gospel. May we see the Lord Jesus and his beauty today as you open our eyes. And Lord, we join our hearts and our voices together as your people, the church, and pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray saying out loud together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal, if you would like to turn there. Since this is a confession of our faith, I'm going to ask you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, the resurrection of the body, and and the life everlasting. Amen. As you have just professed faith in the triune God, the living God, those of you who call on the Lord by faith and look to Him for your salvation and not to yourselves, hear the assurance of God's pardon of your sins from Psalm 103, verses 15 to 18. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to such as keep His covenant, and to those who remember His commandments to do them. Amen. Let's continue to worship now. Please take your hymnal and turn to number 690. As we sing together, I know that my Redeemer lives. children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Well, good morning, boys and girls, as you're coming up. Good to see you all. Good morning. Good to see you this morning and good to be in worship together as God's people. I have a question for you this morning. Can anybody tell me what a prophet did in the Old Testament? Danny. He spoke the word of God to the people. Yes, he absolutely did. I read uh, this week and studied a bit about what the office of a prophet was. Uh, does anybody know if we have any prophets today? Are there any? Emma. No? No? The prophets are the preachers. Well, we certainly are supposed to speak God's word, as Danny said, James. And the the prophets are, the preachers are to speak God's word only. But the office of a prophet is actually no more in the same way that it was in the Old Testament or even in in the New Testament. Can you think of one of the messages that the prophets told God's people? Think of maybe like John the Baptist. What did he tell people? That a savior was coming. Do you remember that word he he used, Katie? To repent. To repent? To repent. He was reminding God's people: wake up. You are sinners. Whether you know it or not, whether you whether you understand it or not. And the prophets spoke messages that were not always nice and, and warm and cozy. Sometimes they were harsh and seemed very strong, but they were meant for God's people to hear. He wanted them to hear it, and actually they spoke in two different ways. Uh, One writer says that the prophets were guardians of the the covenant theocracy, because Israel, the nation of Israel during the time of the Old Testament, was actually a nation and a people who belonged to God. They were to be ruled by God, and so they were guardians of that theocracy. Theocracy is just a, a fancy word that means that they were ruled by God alone. And so when the prophets spoke, they spoke to the kings and the rulers and said, you must obey, you must help lead God's people, you must show them his word. But they were also speaking messages to God's people. They were to listen and obey, to remember their responsibilities to their covenant-keeping God. Let me ask you, do you and I serve a
1: covenant-keeping
0: God? Yes. Yes. And are we a covenant-keeping people? Are we to obey God? Yes. Even though we're in the age of grace, we're in, a, in an age where Jesus came and died for our sins, and we believe that we are righteous because of Him, we still have to obey? Yes. Yes, we absolutely do. So I'm going to pray for you this morning. We're, our sermon series is, is, is on Amos, an Old Testament prophet book in the Old Testament, but it still applies to you, and I'm going to pray for you this morning that the Lord will open your eyes, that you will see it and believe, and that you will obey from your hearts. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for our covenant children. That's not a throwaway word or a special phrase to make us have good, warm feelings about our children. Every time those words are spoken in our homes and here on Sunday morning, it's a reminder of your work in us. Not what we profess to believe about you, but what you say about us. Lord, we pray this morning for our covenant children. We raise them up to you. We know that we cannot put faith in their hearts. We can't make them be Christians. Only you can do that work in them. And so I pray, Lord, that you would cause our young people, our children, and our older children, our teenagers, to know you, that they might walk in your ways and be obedient. Lord, I pray for them specifically this morning that you would, if it be according to your will, that you be delighted to answer this prayer, that you would spare them of walking through a wilderness journey on their own, that they would wander away from you and know what it means to to love the things of this world. Lord, I pray that you would keep that out of their lives, if it be your will, that they would only know walking and obeying, being true to you. But Lord, we do surrender our hearts and we offer our children to you. We know that you love them more than we do. We pray that you would keep them in your will and we know that you will sustain them by your grace. Lord, I pray that they love and enjoy and delight in you. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to read together uh, Psalm 8. It's on page seven hundred and eighty six in the Green Hymnal. Ask you to turn there. Page seven hundred and eighty-six. Page seven hundred and eighty-six, Psalm eight. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Yes, the glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. All flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim The paths of the seas. I'm going to make just a small change in the order of our service. Uh, Rather than singing the hymn right now, we're going to have our pastoral prayer time. And then right after, we'll sing uh, the next hymn. And I mentioned at the beginning of our service, before our call to worship, that I wanted to pray this morning for uh, the Middle East. And I'm sure many of you know, maybe you, it, just in case you don't know, uh, there was a, a significant attack yesterday morning and lots of lives were lost in Israel and I'm sure in, in neighboring countries as well. And I want to pray for, uh, for that region as we consider and also pray for our own country as we think about other countries that are going through great difficulty. One thing that's easy or maybe our hearts go here. It's easy to not think about other places uh, that are going through great difficulty, but particularly I want to pray for for them, and I want to read just a bit from Romans 11 before we pray. Here Paul says, For if there, speaking of the nation of Israel, if there being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken, that I might be grafted in, well said." Because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell. Severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary by nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? This passage in Romans is part of a larger argument and case that Paul has been making, that the falling away of the nation of Israel as the covenant people of God is not entirely full, the rejection of Jesus is not total, And it's a reminder to us that the spiritual life that we have, that we enjoy, the faith that we say we have, is a gift from God. So as we pray for the peace of the Middle East, as we pray for peace in our own country, in our own neighborhoods, in this state, we pray not just that God would give us relative peace, but that he would pour out his peace in our hearts because we have been reconciled to God. So I want to pray that way now. I do want to pray for our ladies' conference this weekend and for Murray Lathrop as she comes. I want to pray for you ladies that you enjoy this time, that you're encouraged, that your hearts are uplifted, that you enjoy what it means to celebrate and be in God's presence as women created in His image. Let me pray. Yes, sir.
1: I just want to let Mama remind me that Seth Santa over to Bob Lorraine the other day. So he's over there. Okay.
0: Okay. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we may pray to you now and lift up our hearts, our petitions, and our requests to you. We know that coming into the throne room of your grace is nothing that we deserve. And if you gave us what we deserve, Lord, because of our our sinfulness and our sin nature, that we would receive wrath and it would be just and holy and right for you to do it. And yet, because of your precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we may come boldly to the throne room of grace to find grace and mercy in time of need. And we need it, Lord. We, as your people, bow in your presence, and we pray that you would be gracious to us. That as we open your word in a few moments, as we read and hear it proclaimed, that we would hear not the words of a man, but the words of the living God. We pray that they would be life to our souls, just as we ate this morning maybe or anticipate eating later today, that your word would be nourishment for us. Lord, we lift up petitions and prayers and requests on behalf of many things this morning. I pray for our ladies' conference this weekend. I pray that you would bless Mary with safe travels as she gets here, as she shares, as there's words of encouragement, times of fellowship. I pray for our ladies here that this would just be a wonderful time of unity and love and fellowship, that you would strengthen the bonds of the body of Christ as they gather together this Saturday. I pray, Lord, that it will be a holy time together and that there would be blessed communion of the saints in their gathering. Lord, I also pray, as uh, Benny mentioned just now, we do pray for Seth. We pray that you would keep he and all that is in his company safe We pray, Lord, that you would work in his life, that you would protect him and bring him home safely at the appointed time. Lord, we we do have heavy hearts this morning. We pray for uh, the nation of Israel. We pray for uh, the nation of Iran and other countries around. There are uh, many more that I can mention, Lord, and I shudder in thinking that any could be offended this morning here because I didn't mention a specific one. So we just lift up This world that you have made. Many people cry and clamor for peace. And Lord we are satisfied with so little of what is so called peace. If circumstances go our way. If there aren't difficulties. Then we think life with you must be good. And we confess that we are not satisfied with you. We would rather have your blessings than have you sometimes. And we confess that in your presence. We pray that you would heal us. We pray for the healing of people. The nation of Israel, not Lord, because we believe that they are better than any other country, but because of what your word tells us that you chose them out of all the peoples of the earth, not because of their size or their riches or their strength, but simply because of you and for your glory alone. And so, Lord, we pray this morning. We pray for the the peace of Israel, not that they would not have difficulties around them because of enemies. We pray for their peace, that they, this nation, who has been given the the covenants and the promises and the gifts and the temple many ages ago, that you would cause this people to turn their hearts to you again. We pray, Lord, that you would use this conflict even to do it. And we pray that the prayers of your people will be lifted up on their behalf, that they would turn to you, that they would repent of their sins, that they would call on the name of the Lord, As their fathers did, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lord, we pray that you would work in their hearts. And we pray, Lord, asking that same prayer for us, that we are the spiritual Israel of God. We belong to you, and we pray that you would work in our hearts. Call us to yourself. Help us to walk by faith. And Lord, I pray for those in our midst this morning who may be spiritually sick, who might believe that they walk with God, but They know in their hearts they don't. I pray, Lord, that you would cause your people to see aright. Take away the scales from our eyes. Waken us, Lord, we pray, by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 562, All to Jesus I Surrender. invite you to open your bibles to the old testament book of amos the old testament book of amos we're beginning a new series this morning entitled prepare to meet your god we're going to be looking and studying through the book of amos over the next couple of months scripture reading this morning is Amos chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This is the word of the Lord. The words of Amos, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion, and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. This morning's sermon is entitled, Amos, an Introduction. Amos was a prophet from Judah in the 8th century BC. It was the time of the divided kingdom. The kingdom had actually been divided at this point for about 150 years. And Amos tells us that this was written a couple of years before the earthquake. Now this is an area of the world where seismic activity is not something that is uh, novel. It does happen quite often. So for seismic activity to be recorded as it relates to dating of this book is significant. It must have been something that everyone would have remembered and known. Mention of Uzziah as the king in Judah and Jeroboam as the king in Israel helps to pinpoint that this was a time of great prosperity. The two nations were not warring and raging against one another. Actually, they they did enjoy some relative peace, and they had much economic prosperity. However, Amos comes with a polarizing message from God that the supposed solid foundation is about to crumble. The trusted securities may seem impenetrable today, but will be gone tomorrow. Perhaps the, ple- the people believed we're untouchable. Our success and our ease and our comfort, that's what we're in. It went to their heads, but it also went to their hearts. They've asked these questions. Maybe you thought them. Who will call us to account? Who can tell us we're wrong? Look at our lives. Look at the blessings that we have. Look at our riches. We're finally enjoying the blessings that God talked about to our fathers of old. Who will call us on the carpet? It may be obvious, even in this brief introduction, how relevant this message is for God's church Today, not just in the United States, but in the world, in a time of relative ease for many of us, though there are some who go through great difficulty and trials and things that we can only read about in the news and pray we never experience. (coughs) This morning, as we look at Amos, I want to begin this series by asking who was Amos and answer that question. What was his message? At that time, and lastly, why study it now? So number one, who was Amos? He tells us very plainly that he was a farmer. He was a sheep herder in chapter 1, verse 1. We just read it. In chapter 7, verse 14, he says that he was a tender of sycamore fruit trees. And what does this tell us? Well, some of you are farmers, so you know that he didn't live in some ivory tower. He actually was a day-to-day kind of worker. He had learned the practical wisdom of everyday vigilance. He had an eye for detail. He had to have courage against enemies, against vagabonds, people who would come and try to either steal what he had or protect his flock against animals who would come and try to eat them. And he knew the value and the mettle of a person who had to sometimes stand alone. Dear friends, do not despise the place the Lord has you. The Lord is at work on you and in you exactly where you are. He makes no mistakes. He does not lead his people into places where he does not go. And he promises to sustain you. Do not despise your station in life or where he has you. He has not forgotten you. He has not moved on. He is with you. Who was Amos? This man was not a professional. In chapter 7 verse 14. He says as he answered. To the prophet in Bethel. I am not the son of a prophet. And I am not a vocational prophet myself. He had just been told. Go back to Judah and prophesy there. But speak no more to us. And he answered back to this priest. He says no. I'm not a professional. I'm not someone who's been Ivy League trained. I'm not someone who is pressed and polished and everything is great. I was a sheep herder and a tender of sycamore fig trees and God called me here. It sounds a little different, doesn't it? Than maybe some other things you might have heard from maybe more well polished, more professional, more pristine and pressed folks who look the part and sound the part and yet their voice, their message is empty. He says, God revealed Himself to me. We see that in chapter 1, verse 1. And it says that God took Him out of the sheepherder's field and sent Him to the nation of Israel. Now you might notice that He says He was from Judah. And He was sent to speak a message to the nation of Israel. That's going to be significant as we study this book But it's important for us to know and to remember as we think about Amos that this was not his choice. He didn't say, you know, I'm tired of working hard every day. I'm going to be a prophet. I'll just go put on a robe and I'll put a scroll in my hand and I'll just go preach fire and brimstone. No, he didn't call himself to this. It wasn't his choice. He was called by God to speak. Listen to these words in chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His secret to His servants, the prophets. A lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? He's saying, God spoke to me. He sent me with this message. How can I do anything else but speak the truth? You can't, is what He is saying. You can't. I can't. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, the Apostle Paul said that I was called To preach this gospel to the Gentiles. And woe is me if I do not do it. Praise the Lord for obedience. In sharing this word of the Lord with his people.
1: So who was Amos?
0: That's a few answers to the question. He was a farmer. He was not a professional. He was a prophet called by God. He was a man sent by God. To speak a message to his people. Number two, what was his message? Chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord roars from Zion. Thus says the Lord. He was calling to God's people. Wake up. Your God is speaking. Listen with your ears. Hear with your heart. And seek to understand with your mind. The Lord roars from Zion, from His throne, the only place in the entire universe where justice and mercy are perfectly balanced. And He's speaking to you. You should listen, Amos says. By His grace, God has given us, His people, His Word. Do you believe that today, that you hold a copy of the Word of God by His grace? By His grace, He gave it to you and called you to Himself. There's no need for Amos or me or any other preacher to try to dress up God's Word. No need for filler or sweetener. And we dare not edit the Word of God. Taking out things that He has put in, or adding things that we think will help soften the message, or make Christianity or God Himself more likable to people. God forbid... 2 Peter 1, verse 21 says, Prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I pray you always hear the words of the Holy Spirit through His Word every time we meet. That you hear Him. That His Word literally jumps off the page into your heart and that you are left undone in His presence because of His work among His people. God still speaks today. He is not silent. Then, and even as now, there were false prophets. People who claimed to have a message from God. Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. He spoke about false prophets. People who He says... They have healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. Do you not know how to be ashamed? Do you not know how to blush committing the abominable acts that you do? God asks His people. And then He speaks through Jeremiah and says, I will punish them, those who break My covenant, who do not keep My laws. What was His message? God is speaking. That was his message. Our God rules in the heavens. Let all the earth be silent. Number two, his message was God is coming in judgment. When he says that the Lord roars from Zion, it was a warning. He was telling the people, God is coming, and his coming is imminent. It is soon, it is not going to be long. The day of the Lord is coming, he is coming for his people. And it will be devastating. What do I mean by it was imminent? It's a word of warning. It's a reminder. Repent. God is coming. Matthew chapter 3 verse 2. This was the message of John the Baptist. The last of the Old Testament prophets. When he said repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said repent. You are sinful, whether you like it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, you will answer for sins before the throne of heaven. God is coming. It's imminent. He's giving a warning. This is gracious and merciful. Hear the word of God. Repent. He says he's coming for his people. The Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, The covenant keeping God is speaking from Jerusalem and judgment is coming, but not only for his enemies and for the enemies of his people. He says, I'm coming for you. I'm beginning with Israel. I am bringing judgment to my people. I'm coming for you because you have rebelled against me. You have prostituted yourselves to the idols of the people. I am coming to bring judgment to my people. What a a fearful thing to think about as we open this book today, as we begin to study Amos and think about what is happening in the Middle East. And it's not an illustration. They are not a prop. These are real people. But look at what is taking place and what has been. Lest you think that God's judgment is not real. It is. Lest you think that unfaithfulness to His covenant bears no consequence, it does. And he is showing what happens when people walk away from him, when his people walk away from him. We're seeing it. They lived in a time of economic prosperity, chapter 3, verse 15. They lived in a time of religious hypocrisy, chapter 5, verses 21 to 27. And they lived in a time of moral Degeneracy, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Economic prosperity, religious hypocrisy, and moral degeneracy. Alistair Begg says it has a bit of a 20th century tone to it, doesn't it? It is so interesting that the Word of God written in the 8th century BC sounds like what you could read if you open the newspaper today. I think that's why it's helpful for us to consider and every Sunday I say the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. We are the ones who walk in sin and think that God has changed and he doesn't. He does not change. His word does not fail. They had rejected God's decrees. And according to Leviticus chapter 26, Verse 15, to reject God's decrees was to reject God himself. They were guilty as covenant breakers and he was coming in judgment. They refused his word. In chapter 2, verse 11, Amos tells us, we don't want to hear anymore from God. We don't want to hear what he has to say. And they relativized worship. They externalized it. They made it fit into something that they could do. That they felt like if I walk through the motions, I've done what God requires of me. I showed up on Sunday. I did what He asked. Worship was nothing more than a perfunctory exercise that they went through. It was a, meant to be a warning to them. Worship was to be a reminder. Walk before your God and obey Him. Walk in His ways. He is good, but He is not safe. It was to be a warning to them. And yet it bolstered the pride of their hearts. Look what we have done. Instead of being humbled before the Lord, they walked before Him in pride. 1 Peter 4, verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the house of God. 2 Peter 3, verse 15. He reminds God's people That we should consider the patience of God as salvation. Some people run around and say because God isn't pouring out hellfire and judgment and damnation now. That he must not be coming. He must be pleased with who we are. And yet God's word says that if you are experiencing patience from God now. You should consider it salvation. Are you walking in some sin that maybe everyone else in the room doesn't know? And yet before the Lord, He knows. And you claim to be okay. You're here today, after all. And yet, is your heart far from Him? Are you walking with Him? Are you obeying Him? Are you crying out for grace? Do you even believe that you need it? That is part of the message of this book. Isaiah 29 verse 13 These people draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. And their fear towards me is taught by the commandments of men. The word fear there is also the same word for worship. What he's saying is the people whom I gave the law, the people who I told worship me not by idols or any other carved thing that a man may make, Worship me according to how I command. He's saying, they have so degenerated in their hearts towards me that they've even decided they can make worship about them. And they congratulate themselves for it. Look what we have done. God must be pleased. What was his message? The Lord roars from Zion. He said, God is coming. It is imminent. And it will be devastating. Nothing is hidden from his sight. Nothing is hidden from his hand. From the flowing pastures to the mountains of Carmel. So the pastures where the shepherds were, where the farmers were. Amos knew what this land looked like. He knew what it meant to say this. That from down in the valley where the shepherds go with the sheep. From there all the way to the top of Mount Carmel where there were vineyards and lush vegetation. Where there were orchards and lots of plenty. He says, the land, so as it goes with the land, so it will be with my people. Just as nothing is hidden from the heat of the sun in the sky, so it is with every person. Everyone is answerable to God. Everyone, Christian and unbeliever alike. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that? That we will give an answer to God? Or is it just something that we tell our children so they'll sit down and obey? Do you believe that you will answer to God? Every idle word, every evil thought. Do you believe that? I think the people then didn't. We'll get a pass. We will get a pass. We are the good people in this society. We're the Christians. We're the ones who have been given the covenants of God and the promises. We're the ones who have the temple. What do you mean we might receive judgment? You you must misunderstand. You don't know how good we are. How much we give. How much we serve. But Jesus' own words tell us that that's just a deception of our hearts. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not? And what does he say? Depart from me. I never knew you. You can be self-deceived into believing that you're a Christian. That's what Jesus said. And not even all Israel is Israel. That's what God's Word says. In John chapter 4, talking about worship, Jesus spoke to the woman at the well. Do you remember she got into a discussion with him about the worship wars, about how to do it, when to do it, when to say it, when to stand up, when to sit down. She, she gets totally distracted and tries to side rail Jesus in, in his discussion. And she says, well, I know that you guys say we should worship in Jerusalem, you Jewish people, say we should worship in Jerusalem, but we think Samaria, but when the, when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us And he says you're to worship in spirit and in truth. There will be a time when there is no particularly special place. Because the earth is the Lord's. And true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. He was reminding her there's no points for attendance. We live in a day and age where if you participate in a sporting event, everybody gets a trophy, right? Everybody gets one, whether you win or not. So basically, the trophy, which used to be something that you aspired to, that you worked toward, something that you esteemed in a sporting event, now everybody gets one, which basically means they don't really mean as much. Right? If everybody gets it, it doesn't mean anything. And we're lulled into believing. Because of that, I think we draw a straight line between that and our spiritual life and say, well, if I showed up, God will give me a pass. I tried my best, He'll give me a pass. God doesn't give... A pass for best efforts. He doesn't. So why study this now? Why look at the book of Amos? Why take this time in the the century that we live in to look at this book? Why is it significant and important? Number one, because of the unchangeableness of God and the timeless relevance of his word. God doesn't change. His Word is true no matter what century it is read in. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed. You need a diet of Amos. You need to hear it. Even if you don't like it. Even if you don't want to. You need the diet of Amos. Number two, why study it? Because of the insidious nature of sin. My heart and your heart can become calloused and think, well, judgment is for people out there. It's because of their sins, not mine, that God is coming. And we begin to believe there's really no sense of, or a need to be urgent about God's coming. And we believe that we can lower the standard of righteousness. Haven't you thought before? Haven't I thought before? That later on, I'll get serious about God and I'll get my life right. That's a lie. Do you really believe you can get your life right at all, ever? If you had a thousand ages of time in this world, it would be nothing but a testimony to you of your own inadequacy and sinfulness before God. Callous hearts also have a ready willingness to hear and listen to and validate anything but the Bible. Isn't it true that we might say we could sing probably any lyrics that come on the radio, but when we talk about Scripture memorization, it's just so hard. I can fill my mind with everything on a podcast or the radio, but I can't quote verses of Scripture. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. What are you filling your heart with, dear believer? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What are you speaking? Is it the wisdom of God or is it the supposed wisdom of men? Why study it now? Number three, because God in his grace and his mercy and his patience through Jesus Christ today calls you to repent. It's a message of mercy and grace that you are here today and called to repent because of Jesus Christ. To confess, and I mean really confess, and mourn over your sin before a holy God, not before me, before Him. To really forsake evil ways. I mean walk away from them. It's a lie that we can save ourselves. That I can be good enough, that I can do enough. It's not true. Fly to the mercy of God. Fling yourself at the feet of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7. Remind everyone while it is still called today, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Your heart is deceitful and sin only adds to it I think, why study it now? Because we can praise God for His grace. Because if He speaks the message and the warning, repent. He is being gracious in it. If He's calling you to Himself today to repent, to come before Him and display the the, the blessing of repentance in His presence, because He has gifted you with it, you can say, God is good because I deserve all the wrath that a sinful person should have coming to them, except because of the blood of Jesus. And praise God, all of the, his wrath was poured out on his son for me. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35 says that he does according to his will, and no one can restrain his hand. You know what that means about grace? That means that if God desires to give you himself, no one can stay His hand. If He has called you to Himself and you belong to Him, no one can take you out of His hand. Live as the people of God. Walk in His ways. Repent. I want to end with the words of a song that we sang last, last week. Let us love and sing and wonder. Let us wonder grace and justice. Join and point to mercy's store. When through grace in Christ our trust is, in Christ our trust is, justice smiles and asks no more. Are you in Christ? Do you hear the voice of the Lord roaring from Zion, calling you to repent, warning you of the judgment to come? Do you know the Lord Jesus? Does He know you? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for your word. We thank you that we are your people, that we belong to you. That your covenant mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness to us. Lord, I pray that we would hear. I pray for the ears and the hearts of your people that we would hear and believe what Your Word says. Help us, Lord, in the midst of a wicked and crooked generation who say that the Word of God is old and should be put on the shelf, that I don't have to answer to Him if I don't like what He says. God, help us. Be merciful and gracious. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's Word by singing hymn number... 359. Miss Lily, for playing so beautifully for us today. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for being able to give our tithes and our offerings in obedience to your command. And we pray, Lord, that in this act of worship you would bind our wandering hearts to you, that you would remind us in the giving of tithes and offerings that not only are we doing what you have commanded us, but we also are proclaiming to our own hearts that I will depend on the Lord and his strength and his provision and not on the things of this world. Lord, we do pray that you would use our tithes and offerings to proclaim the, the name of the Lord Jesus in our community, in our state, in our world, that all glory would be for you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. of our lord now the savior who died who lives and who reigns grant you joy in your labor peace in your troubles and hope in despair and faithfulness in all of your temptations amen